Genesis 16, verses 1 through 16. Please pay careful attention, for this is God's holy and inspired word given to us this morning. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went in to Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai de dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bir Lahairoi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Well, if I were to ask you what this chapter is about, beyond the mere facts of the narrative, if I were to ask you what this chapter, Genesis 16, is about, what would you say? If I were to ask you, of what relevance is Genesis 16 to us as New Covenant Christians who are called to be pilgrims in the midst of a secular age, what would you say? 
what is the point, what is the relevance of this chapter before us? Well, this chapter is actually all about the church. This chapter is all about the church. And thus, it is very relevant to us as we live in an age in which church attendance and church membership are declining at rapid rates. This chapter is all about the church. Abram and his family are the covenant community of the Old Testament. Abram and his family are the church of the Old Testament. This chapter is about the church. In this chapter, we see the good, the bad, and the ugly of the church. We see the good, the bad, and the ugly. In this chapter, God is reminding us of what he desires to do for us through the church. This is the good. But we also are given realistic expectations about what life looks like in the church in this present fallen age. That's the bad and the ugly. We see here the good, the bad, and the ugly of the church. Those are the three things I'd like us to focus our hearts and minds on this morning. The good, the bad, the ugly of the church according to Genesis 16. Now you may recall that both in Genesis 12 and in Genesis 15, God had promised to Abram that he would make his family as numerous as the stars of the sky. Indeed, at the end of Genesis 15, we, we saw that God sealed this promise through this seemingly strange covenant ratification ceremony, where God walked through the pieces of these dead animals, swearing by his own existence that he would bring this promise to fruition. Now, the assumption is uh, that Sarai is going to be the great mother, the great matriarch of this great family and nation. Well, according to Genesis 16, it's been about 10 years since Abram and Sarai first heard this promise. 10 years and still no child. 10 years and still no family. So what do Abram and Sarai do? Well, they seek to take matters, matters into their own hands. They really do the opposite of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. They trust in their own understanding and refuse to acknowledge and trust in the Lord. They take matters into their own hands. They think to themselves, how long do we have to wait? It's been 10 years. Is this actually going to happen? Maybe we need to help God out a little bit here. Consequently, then, Sarai constructs a plan. Sarai has a servant named Hagar. Hagar was an Egyptian servant that Abram and Sarai likely picked up when they were in Egypt back in Genesis chapter 12, when there was a famine in the land of Canaan. Sarai's plan is to give Hagar, her servant, to Abram so that she can conceive a child through her husband. However, Sarai would claim maternal rights over this child. This was a relatively accepted cultural practice in the ancient Near East. Oftentimes, barren or infertile women would seek surrogate children through their servants. This is what, what Sarah is trying to do here. 
Now, notice what happens. Sarai tells Abram of this plan, this plan that she's constructed. And, and what does Abram do? We read that Abram listened to the voice of his wife. Abram listened to the voice of his wife. And then we hear that Sarai takes Hagar and gives Hagar to Abram. What does this remind you of? Abram listened to the voice of his wife. And then Sarai took Hagar and gave Hagar to Abram. What does this remind you of? Well, this should remind you of our first parents after they sinned. We read in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam listened to the voice of his wife and Eve took of the fruit and gave it to Adam. And so we see here in Genesis 16 that this plan that Sarai constructed is not an innocent um, cultural practice that they're engaging in. This is sin. This is sin. They're imitating uh, their first parents, Adam and Eve. We see here the institution of marriage being rent asunder. Abram and Sarai are also imitating polygamous Lamech from Genesis chapter 4, who was a member of the seed of the serpent. Well, as we continue on, we see that, that uh, Sarai's plan works. She gives Hagar to her husband, and Hagar conceives a child. Hagar conceives a child. Well, after Hagar conceives this child, Hagar begins to look with contempt at Sarai, her mistress. Well, what's, what's Sarai's response? She's outraged. She's angered. She sees this as an act of disrespect and insubordination. How dare her servant look at her in this way? Sarai then begins to deal harshly, abuse her authority over her servant. Now these, these effects, these outcomes from this sin that we see here in Genesis 16, these outcomes shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us that her servant has conceived a child with her husband. It shouldn't surprise us that Hagar begins to look with contempt towards Sarai when Sarai tries to claim maternal rights over her child. It shouldn't surprise us that insubordination is met with the abuse of authority. These are the natural outcomes of the sin that we see in this chapter. There are natural consequences to sin in this life. We live in a moral universe. There are expected patterns and tendencies to the actions that we commit, to the decisions that we make. This is the natural element behind God's moral law. At this point, we see then in verse 5 that she looks at the situation and what does she do? She blames her husband. May the Lord judge between me and you, she says to Abram. I gave you my servant. And look at what she's now doing to me. She's looking at me with contempt. This is your fault. And what does Abram do? Well, Abram in verse 6, he, he essentially blames his wife. 
This is your servant. You do to her as you please. I'm wiping my hands clean of this situation. You deal with this. Now, what does this remind you of? Well, again, this should remind you of Genesis 3. When God came to Adam in the garden, what did Adam say? Well, it was this woman that you gave to me. It's her fault. And then when God came to Eve, what did Eve say? What's this serpent that you allowed into the garden? It's his fault. Both in Genesis 3 and in Genesis 16, we see all of these characters refusing to take responsibility for their own actions and sin. This is part of our sinful nature. We are inclined to blame others and refuse to take responsibility for our sin. This is built into the DNA of our sinful nature. Consequently, then, we see here in this chapter the bad of the church. Namely, that the church, the covenant community, is made up of sinners. We see here the bad of the church. Consider, just for a moment, the sins that are present here in Genesis 16. We witness the sin of sexual infidelity. We witness the lack of leadership within the institution of marriage. We witness the failure to take responsibility for one's actions. We witness the failure to trust God and, in, and instead to trust one's own understanding. We see the abuse of authority, to name but a few sins. This is the bad of the church. The church is made up of sinners. We all have and will continue to witness sin within the church. We will witness our leaders fail us. We will witness uh, or experience other people sin against us within the church. And we, no doubt, will sin against other people within the covenant community. We will witness people seemingly turning their back on Christ and his church making shipwreck of their faith, at least according to our perspective, completely um, rejecting the profession of faith that they made in their past life. We will witness these things within the church. This is the bad of the church. Can you resonate with this? Have you experienced hypocrisy and sin within the covenant community? Have you been hurt by others who profess to know Christ? Have you been hurt by leaders, pastors, elders within the church? Can you resonate with this? This is the bad of the church. Well, we see here in Genesis 16 that Sarai dealt harshly with Hagar. And what does Hagar do? She flees. She's driven into the wilderness, back to Egypt. Here we see that the bad, it turns ugly. Oftentimes when people witness sin within the church, hypocrisy within the church, are hurt by others within the church, it has the effect of them being driven away from the church. This is the ugly underbelly of life in the church in this present fallen age. Sin in the church drives people away from the church. 
Sin in the church drives people away from the church. Hagar essentially is thinking to herself here in this passage, you know, this is toxic. This is abusive. Why would I stick around my mistress Sarai who is, who is abusing her authority over me, treating me terribly? Why would I stay here? I'm gone. I'm going back to my homeland. I'm going back to Egypt. Now, there's this theme that we see throughout the book of Genesis of characters leaving the promised land of, of Canaan to go to the apparent glory of Egypt. We've already seen this with Abram and Sarah. What happened when there was a famine in the land, in the promised land, the land of Canaan? Again, rather than trusting the Lord and his promises, they take things into their own hands and they, they flee to the apparent glory of Egypt. And things don't go well for them in Egypt. Remember back when Saw, uh, uh, Lot and Abram had to part ways. The land cannot support both of them. Where does Lot, where does Lot go? Well, Lot chooses the piece of land near Sodom because it looks like Egypt. And we will continue to see that that was a very bad choice for Lot. And will have uh, um, many negative consequences for him. Well, Hagar is doing the same thing here. She leaves Canaan, leaves the covenant community for the apparent glory of Egypt. Well, when we witness sin in the church, when we're hurt by others within the church, when we witness hypocrisy within the church, this oftentimes has two outcomes. First, we, we tend to become very bitter towards the church. Um, we, we're able to wax eloquently about all, everything that's wrong with the institutional church, but there really is no positive vision for what the church should offer or what the church can still offer in its fractured and weak form. The second outcome is that we can become disillusioned with the church completely as an institution. We begin to think that we can thrive and flourish spiritually detached from a local church. We think that I have the Holy Spirit, I have my Bible, I have my few Christian friends or my Christian family. I'm okay. I don't need this toxic institution in my life. Or we begin to believe that the world can offer us a better sense of community, a better set of ethics, and even a better hope than what the church can offer us. Oftentimes, these are the outcomes when people witness sin within the church. It drives them away from the church to the apparent glory of Egypt. This is what happened to Hagar. And all too often this happens in our world today. We all probably know people who are where Hagar is at this point in this narrative, who are apart from the local church and won't come within 100 yards of the local church because of past experiences, abuse, or heartache that they've experienced in the context of a local church. You yourself may have been in this place at one time or another. This is part of what life is like within the church in this present fallen evil age. This is the ugly underbelly of the church. The bad turns ugly. Well, Hagar ends up in the northeast part of, of Egypt, in this land of Shur. And Egypt was not the paradise that she had expected. She's languishing. This is a very low point in Hagar's life. Now, what does God do? 
at this very low point in Hagar's life. Well, God sends, raises up, sends an angel to minister to Hagar. And in this interaction, we see the heart of God. We see that God cares for the weak and for the wandering. God cares for the weak and for the wandering. We see in this interaction the heart of God. It's here that we see the good of the church. We've already witnessed the bad. We've already witnessed the ugly. Here we see the good of the church. God cares for the weak and for the wandering. This angel comes to Hagar. And notice what this, this angel says to Hagar. This angel reminds Hagar that her son will be blessed. Her son will be the father of a great people, a great nation. Indeed, her son's name will be Ishmael. What does Ishmael mean? God hears. This angel is reminding Hagar that God hears her prayers, her lamentations. God sees her afflictions, her mistreatment. Indeed, Hagar even names God. She says, you are a God who sees. This is the only example in the Old Testament where we see someone giving a name to God. Hagar experiences the kind of providence of Yahweh here. This is a remarkable example of God caring for someone outside the line of promise. Hagar here is experiencing God who, who promises to turn our adversity into good. God who promises that he is both able and willing to grant us what we stand in need of, both bodily and spiritually. Hagar experiences this in the land of Shur. Now, notice the first thing that the angel says to Hagar. The angel does comfort her, sympathizes with her. But what is the first thing that the angel says to Hagar? The angel says, return and submit to Sarah. Return and submit to Sarah. The angel is essentially telling Hagar that true blessing can only be found as she is attached to the covenant community. Or to put it another way, true blessing can only be found as she is a member of the visible church. Yes, the angel is comforting and sympathizing with Hagar, but the angel is also calling Hagar to return and submit and not forsake the institutional church. Here we see God's heart. God cares for the weak and for the wandering. We see here God's heart in what we refer to as church discipline. Uh, church discipline is not punitive. It's not the church seeking to exact strict justice for wrongs that have been committed. You know, church discipline is what we're witnessing here through the angel. God's under-shepherds, pastors, and elders are called to treat those who are wandering the same way the angel is treating Hagar. God's under-shepherds are called to comfort and sympathize with those who are weak and wandering, yes. But they are also called to tell them to return and submit. They are called to tell those who are wandering that true blessing can only be found as we are a part of God's church here on earth. Not just the invisible church, but the visible church, the visible covenant community. 
Elders are not just volunteer uh, or administrative volunteers. Elders possess authority, and elders' job, uh, the job of an elder, is to reclaim those who are lost, to do what the angel is doing here, to comfort, to sympathize, and to call people back to the covenant community that they might experience the blessing of Yahweh. So how does this challenge your conception of the church? The church is not just the gathering of people who can enjoy fellowship and community. Now, that's a great byproduct of the church, but that's not the extent of the church. The church is an institution that possesses authority under the kingship of Christ, and thus God desires to care for the weak and the wandering through his under-shepherds. Do you have this view of the church? Do you view your elders in this light? Do you esteem them according to the responsibilities that God has placed before them? This is the good of the church. This is a blessing to be under a church and to be under this kind of authority. Well, Hagar does return. She does return. She listens to the angels. She returns to Abram and Sarai. And she gives birth to Ishmael. But Ishmael's not the chosen seed. Abram and Sarai will have to continue to wait. Abram and Sarai cannot bring to realization or bring to fulfillment the Abrahamic promises. No matter how hard they try, they cannot bring to realization these promises. Israel will also have to learn this. Israel will not be able to bring to fruition the Abrahamic promises. Israel will not be able to even retain life in the promised land of Canaan. How much more unable are they to earn heaven itself? Abram and Sarai cannot, cannot bring about these promises through their own efforts or merit. This reminds us that the church is, first of all, a community of receivers and not doers. The church is, first of all, a community of receivers and not doers. This also is part of the good of the church. We're a community, first of all, of receivers and not doers. This means that our desire to be a part of a church shouldn't, first of all, be so that we can serve. Now, that's important, but that's secondary. We shouldn't think, I need to be a part of a church so that I can, I can serve. That's important, but it's secondary. We should desire to be a part of a church, first and foremost, so that we can receive, so that we can sit back and be fed and reminded that our God is a God who has walked between the pieces of those dead animals, taking responsibility. God is a God of providence, even though our life may seem fortuitous. This is what we need. This is how we are blessed by being part of the covenant community. We're blessed, not, not so much so because we serve, but because we receive. And that reception propels our service. We are, first of all, a community of receivers and not doers. Someone needed to tell Abram and Sarai here, you need to sit back and stop trying to help God fulfill his promises. God is going to be true to his word, and you need to trust him by faith. That, beloved, is what we're called to each and every Lord's Day. In a few moments, we will be invited to partake of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And in this meal, we are having communion with 
the actual body and blood of Christ, the historical body of Christ who is right now at the right hand of God. Now when we begin to take our eyes off of Christ, the Christ who is in heaven, and we witness the schisms, the errors, the sin within the church, it's very easy for us to become disillusioned. So in this moment, let us take, eat, remember, and believe that Christ, Christ died. He had his body broken and he shed his blood not for thousands of individuals, but for the church, his body, and his community. Let us pray. Merciful Father, we thank you for Genesis 16 and what it teaches us about